that song that we just sung, um, Run, One Bread, One Body, is a song that I first learned at my interning church. Um, I was a seminary intern, um, like Aaron, at Second Reform Church in Zealand, and that's where I first encountered it. Um, that song is actually written in response to our text this morning, which is Romans 12. We are in a sermon series right now, you can see from the visual on the screen, on connection, relationship, belonging, and story, and how all of that shapes our identity as people of God. Last week in Genesis 37, we remembered the story of Joseph, well, part of uh, the story of Joseph. Um, His story takes up a lot of space in the book of Genesis, and Pastor Stephen carefully pointed out for us the different connections that Joseph had, um, connections with God, connections with his family, with the people of Egypt, good connections, hard connections. And this week, as we continue in that sermon series, um, we're going to think about those connections that go a bit of a step further, and those are the relationships that we have in our lives. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible has a lot to say about relationships, Um, So if someone says to you, do a sermon on relationships, it's like, well, let's start at the beginning and make our way through the whole deal. Um, The Bible has a lot to say about relationships, and it explains different types of relationships. Um, There's relationships between nations, relationships between a king or a leader to their nation. Within nations, there's relationships between tribes or clans, they're sometimes called. There's relationships between church leaders and the body of believers that they are leading. There's the relationships between believers. Of course, we have the family relationships, spouse to spouse, parent to child. We also have relationships in scripture between a person or a group of people and their enemy. And finally, there's the relationships that we have with God. There's me to God, there's we to God, and there's all of creation to God. And God exists in relationship, too, when we consider the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just by existing, God is relationship. So this is, a, this is really important in Scripture. Today's text is Romans 12. It has a lot to offer about relationship, too. It's a special passage to me because this was the main text that was preached at my wedding. Of course, I was a seminary student, so we couldn't do 1 Corinthians 13. That's too easy. Um, So instead, we uh, heard a reflection on Romans 12. Now, this passage is not written to a couple on their wedding day. It's written to a church, and it's going to challenge us to some pretty big things. Let's pray before we hear the reading of the word. God, may your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, our utmost concern. Amen. Friends, I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 through 8, then we're going to pause and come back to verse 9 and following. So hear the word of the Lord. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I was reading it, could you hear the song, One Bread, One Body? For just as each of us is one body with many members, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. One bread, one body, one Lord of all. One bread, one body. Um, this letter to the Romans was written by who? Paul. Good job, check. This was, uh, was written by Paul. Paul himself was a Pharisee. He was a Jew, a very, very devout Jew. His name originally, of course, as we know, is Saul of Tarsus. And because Paul was a devout Jew, a devout Pharisee, he saw the followers of Jesus as a threat, so much so that he worked really hard to eradicate them, to eliminate them. But we know that this isn't Paul's full story because Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus in a radical way. Paul becomes a Jesus follower himself and determines that his new mission is to non-Jewish followers of Jesus, or the Gentiles, as we might say. So this is written by Paul. We remember his story. The Roman church, we know from Acts 18, had both, and hear me, had both Jewish followers of Jesus and non-Jewish followers of Jesus within their congregation. So Christianity itself doesn't exist as a religion yet. Paul is Jewish. Jesus himself was Jewish. But we have these people with Jewish upbringing who are beginning to follow Jesus. And then we have people who did not grow up in the Jewish tradition, non-Jewish people or Gentiles, who begin to follow Jesus too. And it's these two groups that are part of the Roman church that Paul is writing to. And even though that church is relatively well established by the time Paul begins his ministry, something really important happened to them. 
the emperor at the time, Emperor Claudius, decided to kick out all the Jews who were living in Rome. So those Jewish followers of Jesus who were members of the congregation in Rome got kicked out for five years. In that five-year period, the church, which was now mostly non-Jewish or Gentile followers of Jesus, began to lose some of its Jewish heritage and some of its Jewish traditions. So the five years pass, the Jewish followers of Jesus come back to Rome, and they come back to a church that they don't really recognize. And now we have a church divided. The Jewish followers of Jesus and the non-Jewish followers of Jesus. They didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus anymore. They asked questions like, can non-Jewish or Gentile Christians celebrate the Sabbath? Can they, when they didn't grow up in this faith? Can they or should they eat kosher? Can they or should they be circumcised? And the people are very divided over these issues. And this is the context that Paul writes this letter to, to a church divided a people who are not united. <clears throat> Paul wants that church to be united, and that motivates him to write this letter to the Romans. Romans is a beautiful book, a beautiful letter. It's one of my favorite letters in the Bible, and it's the longest letter that Paul wrote, so he spends a lot of time sharing this is the good news of the gospel. This is what it is. This is what it's meant. And this is what it means. And by the time he gets to Romans 12, Paul believes that the gospel means that the church must be unified, that the body of believers must be unified. And in our passage, he describes that unity in a few different ways. Through love, which we'll get to, through sacrifice, and forgiveness, and reconciliation. These will mark the church, the people of God. <clears throat> As I said, this text was preached at my wedding. So I love Eric. Um, so when I do and practice those things with him, living sacrificially, forgiving, reconciliation, I'm doing that within the context of a relationship where I know this person loves me, this person is committed to me, and this person wants me to flourish. And even though I know that and he knows that about me, it's still really hard to do that stuff. It is still really hard sometimes to love my spouse. And so therefore I can have a little bit of grace and compassion when it gets hard to love the folks for whom we're not really sure if they love us or if they're committed to us or if they long for our flourishing. So I want to hold that, that it's hard, while also saying, but this is the challenge. So we need to heed it well. Paul says to offer your body in relationships as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, and that is your true and proper worship, he says. Sacrifice for us is more of an idea or a metaphor, but in this 
context to the Roman church. It's not just a metaphor. It's a, it's a daily practice that the people, especially Jewish people, lived into. Sacrifice. I think most of us know this, that there was a sacrificial system in the Old Testament that even the people of the New Testament practiced. Some of these sacrifices were non-animal sacrifices, like with um, wheat or with olive oil or frankincense or wine. Some of these sacrifices were animal sacrifices with cattle, sheep, doves, pigeons. And there were different types of sacrifices. There were sacrifices for sin and for guilt, which I think we know. But there were also sacrifices for peace. There were sacrifices of free will, sacrifices of ordination. And the purpose of sacrifice was for the person on behalf of themselves or the community of faith or their community to bring that sacrifice to God in the temple specifically because that's where God lived, was in the temple. God received that sacrifice and then that relationship was restored again. The relationship between that person, family, or community to God. And the good news about this transaction, about this sacrifice, is the person is bringing the sacrifices to one who is merciful, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So this God who receives the sacrifice will respond justly and with mercy each and every time. Once the sacrifice is given to the Lord, it belonged to the Lord. It's done. You give the sacrifice, it belongs to the Lord, and it's done. It's finished. Who does that remind us of? Oh, if you got that wrong, oh, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. There was a sacrifice in the Old Testament called a scapegoat sacrifice. It happened annually, once a year, and the priest would take a scapegoat, and he would bless the scapegoat, and on the scapegoat, he would um, ceremoniously give all the burden of the people, the sin of the people, and then they would send that scapegoat into the wilderness. Jesus is sort of like that scapegoat, Paul noticed. He is the one, because he was human, who on behalf of humanity took on the burden of sin and of suffering, the suffering that people in this text would have known as exiles, and brought that to the cross. God accepted that. It belonged to God. And then it's finished. Paul sees the his sacrifices in the Old Testament and the story of sacrifice carried into the life of Jesus, who sacrificed his own body on behalf of all of humanity. And Paul says the only thing we can do in response is to be a living sacrifice, too. That word for proper worship in Greek can also be translated, the first word proper, as logical or rational. And worship can also be translated as service. So Paul is saying the only rational way 
for people of faith, for people in relationship to respond to what happened here and what was practiced in the Old Testament is for they themselves to become a people who sacrifice themselves for others. Living sacrifice sounds a little bit weird because if you brought a sacrifice to the temple, you know, it didn't live after that process was over. But being a living sacrifice means I take it on and I sacrifice. And then I do it again. I take it on and I sacrifice. I take it on and I sacrifice. I myself am a living sacrifice in other places in scripture. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple where that sacrifice is received and then given for the sake of the other. Serve with your body, Paul says. Your body is a living sacrifice in your relationships with others because that's what Jesus did. Paul's just copy-pasting what he sees in the life and more importantly in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He also encourages us to do that by using our gifts. Um, he lists a few different gifts in this passage, um, the gift of prophecy, which doesn't necessarily mean knowing the future, but does mean being able to say the right word at the right time. Do you know people in your life who are just good at that, who have the right word at the right time? He encourages those who can teach to teach, those who can give to give, to encourage to encourage. Why? Because it's your true and proper worship. It is yours to share with every person that you are in relationship with. Do it with humility, he says. Don't think you're so good because you're doing that. Right? Be willing to be the first person to sacrifice. Be willing to learn. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to share. Have humility. But live sacrificially again and again and again. That process of offering your body, yourself, as a living sacrifice in relationship, that is how you break the cycle of conforming to the pattern of this world. The world will say that we live for ourselves, but the way of Christ is that we live for others. Our bodies are living sacrifices. And that's the posture that we take on. Remember, this Roman church is asking some really good questions about what it means to follow God faithfully because they care about that, but they don't agree about how they should do that. They're not sure about where Sabbath fits. They're not sure about circumcision. They're not sure about baptism. They're not sure about eating kosher. So Paul says, as you go into that conversation, be a living sacrifice. Be humble. Be willing to listen and willing to learn. Be a living sacrifice. That's the posture we must take as people of God. So I guess the, the natural question that sort of arises if we hold the mirror up, both to ourselves or to our families or to North Holland or the church or whatever, the question is, how's that going? 
How's that going for you and your relationships with others? How does that look? In what relationships does that feel less complicated to do? And in what relationships is that sort of a strain to be a living sacrifice? What's the date today? It's the 19th, so a little over a week ago, we remembered the anniversary of 9-11, the 20-year anniversary. Um, so I'm 30 years old, which means I was 10 when 9-11 happened. So all of my teenage years and all of my adult years have been post 9-11. And on that day, uh, on the 20-year anniversary, I was on my Facebook page and I saw some really beautiful reflections from many people that I care about, both people in this congregation, friends, family, just marking the day. And there was something that I noticed in a lot of the posts coming out. Um, and these are things that, especially those of you who are adults at the time, had more capacity to see than me as a 10-year-old child. I saw people say, right after that, we pulled together. We came together. This sense of tragedy united us. We put aside some of the things that separated us, and we came together. And those same people said, it feels different now. We feel less together than we did 20 years ago. We feel less united than we did 20 years ago. And I heard the, the grief of that the sadness behind that in these posts that people were sharing. If we're called to be a living sacrifice, I just wonder how that's going. I hear in those posts that it feels like it's maybe not going very well. And so I wonder as you consider that, how does God invite us to be the change just us, okay? Not how can we tell someone else to be the change, but how does God invite us to be that change, to come closer to being unified? In closing, I'm going to read um, Romans 12, 9 through 21, and I'm not going to offer any commentary on it because I want you to listen to it. I want you to reflect on what it means that you are a living sacrifice, and I want you to invite the Spirit to point out what you need to hear, right? There's a lot of good stuff in here, and I think we're going to each pull something a little bit different. So sometimes in youth group, I might say, you know, if you have something in your hand, put it down, close your eyes, and prepare yourself to really listen and pay attention to what you can do to be a living sacrifice in the relationships that you have with others. So as I read this, close your eyes and expect God to speak to you. Hear the word of the Lord. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this place, for these people that we can live into your word with. God, we admit that it is a challenge in our relationships to practice love, sacrifice, and forgiveness. It's very hard, God, to live at peace with everyone, to bless those who persecute us, and to live in harmony with one another. But still you call us to be a living sacrifice in each and every one of our relationships. So as we receive your word this morning, God, may we first stand in awe of your willingness to do that for us, of the deep love you have for us, and of the truth that we belong to you, God. May that inspire us to love our neighbor, to live sacrificially as our true and proper worship. We pray this in your name. Amen.
it's time now for our congregational prayer. I actually forgot to check if there are prayer quotes out there. Are there prayer quotes out there? No? Okay. Karen says no. I shouldn't have said anything, but... (laughs) Um, I have a couple updates for us. Um, Pastor Stephen's not here um, this morning, so I'm just going to pull up his message so I say it um, correctly. Um, The first is from the Gemin family. Um, We shared last week um, that Bob was um, struggling with a COVID diagnosis um, that came through a prayer update um, early in the week. Um, And on Tuesday evening, Bob passed away um, from COVID. So we want to lift um, the Gemin family um, to the Lord in our prayer this morning. Um, We also have a prayer update um, from Reuben or on behalf of Reuben, um, we want to continue to pray for his hands um, as they are getting worse um, and for his mind as well, that he would be able um, to think clearly um, and that God would just give him a sense of peace and renewal um, in this season. Let's come to God in prayer. God of all seasons and your pattern of things, there is a time for keeping and a time for losing, a time for building up and a time for pulling down. As we remember what you have done on the cross, help us to discern in our lives what you invite us to lay down and pick up, the relationships that you call us to be living sacrifices within. Jesus, you know the anguish of our human lives. As one who sees the pain of those who suffer, bring comfort and peace and strength. As one who has experienced the agony and tears of losing loved ones, comfort all who grieve. As one who wept over the faithlessness of your people, send your spirit to correct us in our unfaithfulness. As one who understands the agony of those who have been deserted, stand alongside those who may feel alone or abandoned today. You, our Lord, have offered up prayers with loud cries and tears. Hear us when we do the same. God, this morning we remember Bob Grover, Don Gemmon's brother, who passed away this past week from COVID. God, we pray your hand of blessing over the Gemmon family, your hand of peace, as they come together to remember Bob's life and to mourn his passing. Would you give them moments of togetherness in the midst of grief? God, we pray for Reuben Corey. We pray for his hands as they get worse, especially in this time of year as the seasons change. We pray for his mind, for the clarity that seems to be leaving. And we ask, God, that you would grant him peace in unexpected ways. 
God, we continue to pray for Ada Hughes, co-worker of Dave Shear, as she continues to remain in the ICU with COVID. We hold Kim Claussen before you as she starts her treatments this upcoming Friday over the next four weeks. God, we pray that these treatments would bring about uh, a quick and glorious relief for Kim and family. We continue to lift up Caleb Packard as he recovers from surgery. We thank you that he has made good progress and pray that he would continue to see strides in his health that help him to rest. And we lift up Nathan Longfield, our previous intern, and his family as they mourn the passing of a dear friend, Benita. God, we approach your throne of grace with boldness. We remember these brothers and sisters before you. May we know the power of the resurrection. May we receive mercy and grace. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.